Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Omar Project. Before we get started, I want to make sure I invite you to join the OmarProject.com. That's spelled O-M-A-R, because you can get a lot of great insight on project management, the skills you need to up your game, and also learn from the best project managers in the world on the most complex projects. Hey, everybody, this is Omar with The Omar Project, and I am excited about this week's episode. We have a couple of really interesting questions. One of them is about, about my history in oil and gas. I, if y'all don't know, I was in the oil and gas industry and I was in it for quite a bit over almost 15 years in oil and gas, in refineries, in chemical plants. And if you've been reading the news lately, there are a lot of refineries and chemical plants being sold. I have a lot of buddies that are still in them and it's a, it's an incredible job as far as your career, because you can really spend your whole career in a refinery chemical plant. So I'll just get, I'll discuss what you can do if you've lost your job in one of those refineries and you're looking into a new greener space, which is renewables. So we'll talk through that. And I'll also get into another question surrounding the PMP certification. I'll give you my opinion on that. Let's get started with our questions for today. So the first question is from Andrew from Louisiana. Hey, Andrew, good to see your question. Also good to see that you're in the state of Louisiana, which is where I'm located right now. I noticed that you made the transition from oil and gas to the renewable space. I'm interested in hearing about what the transition was like and what skills you found most transferable. Awesome, this is a great question because just like I said, it's very relevant right now. Everyone in the oil and gas field has to be feeling a little bit like, hey, do I stick around or not? And uh, there have been a lot of transitions in many companies. Most of the oil majors are making or have made tremendous transitions in the last six months, especially since COVID started and oil crashed and market demand plummeted. So how did I find the transition? Well, number one, I believe you really need to understand why you're making the transition. I think to me, the transition itself is a very personal decision. And I've, I've spoken about this before in some other podcasts I've been interviewed. It's a, it's a extremely personal decision because it's going to depend on a couple of things. One is the factor of you know, realistically, it's going to be your age, how much time, what's your end runway until you retire. That's going to be part of it, right? Second part of it is going to be your current skill sets. How transferable are they to the new renewable field? And then lastly, it's going to be your personal situation around friends or family, you know, if you kids, if you have any, where you're located, if you're willing to relocate, because some of these opportunities aren't in the same cities where you might be working currently. And for most of people in oil and gas, there's really three major hubs or three places in the country where you're going to be working. One of them is somewhere in Louisiana tied to either deep water operations or refineries or chemical plants. One of them might be Texas, especially Houston as a hub. And then if you're in Canada, one of them is in Calgary. You know, there's a lot of operations in Calgary in the vicinity of that area, at least in North America. Now there are other hubs throughout the world. I'm talking, I'm really speaking uh, North America focused, but this reality is similar in other places because the, the globe is going through this transition. So this is happening across the world. Obviously, if, you, if you're senior and you've got five or less years, 
then this is not really a question for you. I think you, you're, you're likely going to ride this out because you're, if you're one of the majors or if you're with a company that has a pension or if you have uh, quite a bit of perks for being in a company that long, it's going to be hard to leave that company to really do, do much of anything if, you're really, if your goal is your end goal is to retire in five years. And very likely, I will say this, if you have made it this far, after all the cuts that have been announced, all of the reductions that have happened over the last year. If you've made it this far and you're still in oil and gas, congratulations, because it's very likely that we may be seeing the end tail of some of these reductions where the staffing is so low now in some of these companies compared to what it was a year and a half, two years ago. It may be possible where you just end your career there and, and you may not go through that many more reductions. So that's one. Now, if you're in my situation or a situation that I think many people are in, which is where you're in your mid-career, you're not early starting out because to me, that's another, it's a whole different topic. But if you're somewhere between five to 20 years of experience and you still have 15 to 20 years left of a career after, after working that, then it's a very different question. And the analysis to me is different. Because now you have to ask yourself, where do you see your current company going? And to be honest, most of us that are in oil and gas, that if you're, unless you're at the highest levels of the company, and, and to be frank, some of the highest levels of these companies really don't know where they're going. They're just figuring this out now. So it's going to be difficult to see where you're going to be in 10 years. These companies are making the plans for the next 10 years. And they're doing it with the thought in mind that the future of their company will be different than the present. So uh, the, the good thing is they are making that conscious decision. Also, I would imagine hiring is a real big problem for companies. And I mean problem as in it takes a lot of time. It takes time to hire the right people. So when I say if you've made it this far, it means if you've made it this far in your company, you've got a lot of the great qualities that they want in you as not an employee, as an employee and as somebody who's part of their company, part of their team. So they want to keep you around if they can figure out how to harness your skills in another area, which is going to add value to whatever their future is. So I think if you're in a big company, I'm very confident that they're going to be rolling out some things where they're going to train you up on whatever the new technology is that they get into or help you and assist you getting into the new the new fields. Now, that doesn't mean you can't start learning it on your own right now, but I don't think the concern level for me is is low because I know that these companies will put in the resources to help their people transition. Now, if you're in a smaller to mid-sized company and the transition is is you're not getting that support it's not as available to you, that's something you have to think about. Is is it worth you moving to another field so you can get that experience and and branch out, which will be the dominant future in the next 10 years for sure. As far as skills that are most transferable, this, across, this applies specifically to any transition, but I will talk about three areas in particular. One is going to be wind energy. Second one is going to be batteries. And the third will be solar. In oil and gas, especially if you were in a major, as companies, oil and gas companies are very engineering heavy. What does that mean? Is that they, and this is why I think, quite frankly, their engineering expertise is excellent as far as project management, as far as getting things done from an engineering complex, extremely complex, $10 billion oil platforms. They're excellent at it. But 
when you start removing the need for oil and gas, you're going to start removing the need for some of these these skill sets that were very typical for oil and gas. And what does that get replaced by? So in wind, you're now looking at wind turbines that are essentially replicates or made by one company that are installed. Now, what is complex about this is that these wind turbine farms, even if they're if they're on land, if they're they're offshore, the installation, the logistics, the supply chain, the contracts, all that stuff is actually in the wheelhouse and what I would consider oil and gas are experts at because you're always pulling equipment from different parts of the globe. Your quality assurance processes are going to be top notch. So that's going to be a field that I think is going to translate very well to renewables and project management, which is something I've been, you know, this is why you come to the Omar project, hopefully, is what I think is going to be extremely transferable because all I think we had, if you're in oil and gas, you have been trained by the best project managers in the world. And taking that skill set and moving into these new fields, which you may have people that aren't experienced in it, I think is going to be a great adder to them. It's going to actually help accelerate the renewable transition. So that's definitely one. Management, of course, you're going to have many types of skills transfer. Your leadership skills are going to transfer. Communication skills will transfer. All these soft skills that are really not tied to technology will transfer very well. Then the question is, what about the technology? How how much do I really need to learn to transfer? So for wind, if you are in refinery or if you're in deep water, wind will be not very different from the technologies that you understand. And why is that? And why can I say that? I did a lot of research on wind because I was interested in moving into it at some point in my career. And their turbines, they have one turbine, and it's basically converting mechanical to electrical energy. The complicated issue with these things are the repairs, because oftentimes you just send a person out there and they have to climb up this ladder or go up an elevator and do the repairs there. So the safety for that, the reliability of the machines, but oftentimes that's all managed by your third party contractor or your or your OEM. So it's not as technical as I would say, you know, as complex as building up a new platform or a refinery or being in one of those, because you're going to have thousands of different pieces of equipment that you need to be aware of, thousands of different of PM cycles or, or close to that. And you're going to have miles and miles of pipe and different types of metallurgies and all these complications, chemical interactions, which you're not going to get in wind, but you will get some challenges that are not as common for everyone. So one of the challenges that you're going to get during project execution phase is actually building out the turbines and dealing with the political and societal risks that exist there. One of the other challenges that's going to be present in wind is just how how to actually get the whole thing working and get getting electricity fed to the ground. And that and that to me is going to reside more in the project management department. Let's go to the next portion of renewables. And I'm going to stay on this one a long time because I feel like a lot of people are feeling these and have these questions. But the next one would be batteries. Okay. I, I'm I'm in oil and gas. How do I translate to batteries? Well, this is what I've done. I was in oil and gas, in a refinery, in a chemical plant, in deep water upstream. So I've done all, all the different fields of oil and gas uh, except midstream. But I moved into from, from there to batteries. And, and batteries, from a technological perspective, you're, you're focused on a very specific problem within the renewable space, which is just the battery, either it's going to be battery development or it's going to be battery 
execution, which will be more building them and rolling them out to customers. That, those skill sets are very transferable to what you're learning in oil and gas. Now, you're going to have, if you have the, if you're on the execution front of that, you're going to be dealing with a manufacturing facility that's going to be building them. All the HAZOPs, all of the technical skills, all of the pumps skills for maintenance, the preventative maintenance skills, the chemical interaction skills, um, HAZOPs, LOPAs, all that PNIDs, that will be very relevant in that field. Uh, because they're going to exist within the manufacturing facility. So that's that's actually, I think, a great field for transferring of skills. Um, I'm a huge proponent of batteries. I think it's going to be tremendously massive, the amount of growth we're going to see in the next 10 years in this field. So I think it's a great field. The last field I'll talk about is solar. Solar is a field where, it, to me, it's difficult to find where the oil and gas where your your oil and gas skills are going to translate. And the reason I say this is because most solar is commercial in nature. And the skills that are really going to be the value adders for a solar deal are going to be the people negotiating the, the long-term purchasing contracts for the solar. And the space that we're seeing solar in outside of residential, which uh, unlikely that an oil and gas person or an oil and gas company is going to get into residential because it'll be more mom and pop or smaller outfits that are going to do in the installation. These skill sets really are going to be around these commercial deals. So for instance, you have many corporations having all these green pledges that are happening and they're saying that they want to go hundred percent green. Well, there are companies that are trying to help them get there and they will build a solar farm, a hundred megawatt solar farm, and then they will contract with, a Google or an Apple or an Amazon and have them be the ones that pay them for that long-term agreement. So they're basically getting the power for the next 20 years from that one solar farm. Now, when you think about the technology in a solar farm, it's the solar panels, it's the electrical distribution, and it's the management, the software that manages it. All of that stuff is already being done very well. You can get into the solar panel field, but I think that's extremely competitive the distribution and the installation is well handled. And to me, the solar field is, it, it does, if you're talking about PVs and, and photovoltaics, there's, it's one of the more challenging fields to translate into. Unless you're on the commercial side, then I think it would be very exciting to translate into. From a project management perspective side, I think you, you have that. You'll have more of the feasibility, scoping the land. Now, I will say land leases, Onshore oil and gas, there's a, there's a typical field called land, land rights and land leasing. That would be very relevant to both onshore solar and onshore wind, where you're having to negotiate contracts with landowners. Those are some fields that you'll still see some value there, but it's going to be more challenging, and the, and the scope of the teams are very small. So I think this is an area where I'm not as bullish, but just because of, of how compact that industry is and how well the technology is already advanced. Andrew, that, that was a very long response to a quick question, but this is so relevant for so many people right now because we're going through it. So I hope that answered your question and I hope that helps other people on the call as well. Thank you. All right, second question is, hi Omar, I wanted to get your take on the PMP certification. I'm a senior engineer lead working at a large corporation. My company would pay for my certification, but we also have an internal project certification process. I'm organized and understand high-level areas about project management from a, from a one-on-one course I have taken. 
This is from Beth in California. Hey, Beth, thank you for the question. And this is a great one because uh, I am I have debated this question very much uh, internally. And and let's talk about it now since this is something that's on your mind. Okay, so the PMP certification. This is called the Project Management Professional Certification. And if I go to their site, which is PMI.org, and I read through this, they have a certification kind of cheat sheet on what it offers, right? And here's here's what the requirements are so you understand this. A four-year degree, 36 months leading projects, 35 hours of project management education training or or CPAM certification, or you can also have a high school diploma or an associate's degree, 60 months leading projects, 35 hours of project management education training. That's to give you history on what the requirements are. If you're an engineer and you look at the PMP certification and you have your professional engineering degree, or I'm sorry, license, then that's going to feel light to you. For me, it did. It's like, okay, all I need is a degree and 36 months leading projects, which is three years, 35 hours. So to me, that's, that's a, that, that, those requirements aren't very stringent. I, I, I feel like if you've been working for more than five years, you could probably easily get that. And even less than that, likely. You, you make your own opinion on that. I'm sharing mine. But I like to talk about also the content of the PMP. Because there's two ways to add value to me if you have these certifications. One is, are you learning things that actually will bring immediate value and make you a more efficient employee or a more efficient person in your organization? That's number one. Number two is, are you getting some sort of title certificate that adds immediate value, makes you more expensive to your employees or makes you worth more to your employees or future employers? And number three is, is it worth the investment? Can you do it? Is the time that you're putting in to get this worth the payoff? So I look at it, let's just, hey, I look at it like a project. I look, what's the value proposition? What, what am I getting when I return it? And for me, the PMP, if you do research on the studying portion, it says maybe a month of studying, uh, I think under 100 hours, and you probably are very likely to pass the exam. The, the, the time effort compared to some of the other certifications, like a PE, for example, that's going to be low from a time perspective. It's, 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 the exam is there but it's, it doesn't seem like it's as stringent. Now, I'm going to put out a caution. I have not taken the PMP exam, okay? I'm not PMP certified. I am certified with another organization, which is the European equivalent, which is called APM. And um, they're very similar, but obviously I worked for a European-based company, so they're going to use what is, very pop, is more popular in Europe. Regardless, the whole certifications are very similar. And the processes that you're going to learn are similar because they've been almost, I would say, standardized across the board. Now, when I look through the material, because I did consider this question and I was actually studying to go through the PMP or, or starting to look into it, and I bought a lot of the resources for it, you will feel very comfortable with a PMP exam if you have done the following. Lead projects at all have gone through some sort of internal training on projects. So you mentioned you went through 101 training. There are companies that have a 101 for projects training, which goes through the, the fundamentals, the basics of projects. It could be a week-long course. It could just teach you the, the nomenclature, the language of it. That's going to help you. I don't think it's going to be enough to pass the PMP, but it's going to get you started to where you're going to feel more comfortable. If you've got some training already, then and 
if you want to have a, a resume booster, this will help. The other thing I would suggest is look at jobs that you want. Go online and look at other fields, especially if you're in an oil and gas field. Look at renewables. Look at what Tesla's doing. Look at what Apple and Samsung are doing. Look at the job descriptions and see what the requirements are. You may see PMP being preferred in some of these fields. The hiring managers may want a PMP. The PMP allows them to know, or whatever project certification allows them to know that they're hiring somebody that they that knows the process, that understands how to run a project. They, they don't have to teach them the terms. They're not coming in completely brand new to the thing. So that, that it can be helpful, and there is some value there. So if you're looking to change fields, if you're looking to show that you have expertise in project management, this is a valuable tool to help you do that. Now, if you ask me how much value does it actually get, I think it's limited, but that's that's a debate. So to get back to your question, should you do it? My personal recommendation at this point is see if the investment's worthwhile to you. Can you spare a couple 10 hours a week studying for three or four, you know, four weeks or so to take the exam? Your company's paying for it, so it's not going to be a, any sort of cash commitment to you. If you would like to get something else in your name, then go ahead and do it. Um, now, if you've already got, if you're not planning on leaving whatever company you're at and you've got their internal certification, then I, don't, I see little value in it, to be honest. I see the value in this. If you're looking for new jobs, if, you, if you've never led projects or you've led them only a bit and you don't have enough proof points to talk through in an interview process about how you've led projects, if you feel like you can't answer complicated questions that people might go into details on project management, then it could be valuable. But to me, the certification, just like any other certification, especially around soft skill based skill like project management, which is half half of the half of the importance of, of being a great project manager isn't knowing how to do floats floats or how to do a, a, a tornado chart or how to do a teacup. That, that is not where you're going to get your value. Half of it is just actually being a great leader understanding how to have the soft skills with people. That's where you're going to get the value. So to me, yes, go ahead, get more certifications, do all these things. But if you don't have a soft skill portion of it and you're applying to these jobs, then I think you can always learn this technical part of it. I think you can read a book and get it, or you can take an online course. I think the soft skills are much more valuable. And I know that employers will think that too. So anyway, I can't, I talked a lot about that, but that's just, those are my opinions. I feel strongly about it. And I want to thank you for asking the questions. If you have a question for me, send me an email at podcast at the I go through all these questions, all the comments I get, and they are always a bright part to my week. So I appreciate you sending me the questions. The question I will ask for you today is, does your team have the right training in place? Is there something that they're missing? Today, we talked about skills transfers to different fields. We talked about certifications. So let me ask you, does your team have all the right skill sets and trainings in order to be successful? And how are you setting them up for success? Let me know. Send them response at podcast at theomarproject.com. And I might even share it on the show.